Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It was an exciting day. It was a big day in the life of the family. Um, they had been able to get a, a piñata. They had been able to get a little banner that said, Happy Birthday. They had even gotten a cake from the local baker. They had gotten a uh, one of those uh, candles shaped in a number. It was number five. It was a big birthday. He was getting to be a big boy. Uh, many milestones had already passed in their life. Uh, toilet training, that was a big milestone. Um, feeding himself most of the time pretty well. In fact, there wouldn't be all the cute pictures of cake on the face and on the head this year because five-year-olds can eat with just a little bit of a mess, but not too bad. They didn't have to lay down a canvas underneath the kitchen table or anything this year. In fact, they had little five-year-old friends because you were at that part of life where uh, play dates were fun and neat and you had all the neighborhood kids come over and, and uh, they were spending time with the little guy. And, and, and it was just a day of excitement and anticipation. It was a day looking forward to what life would hold for this little man as he grew. And they're not quite sure what part of the year that it occurred during his fifth year, but they know it was after his fifth birthday. They're not quite sure when it took hold, but their little guy changed. Something happened to him. The first time they saw it, they heard him scream out in his room. And mom and dad ran down the hallway and they run around the corner and they see their little guy rigid, shaking, gnashing his teeth, foaming at the mouth. Eyes rolled back in his head. And they start praying. They, they start trying to figure out what's going on. The next time it, ex- it happened, they were at the lake for a family weekend. They were having a lot of fun. And the, he, he, was just, he was on the boat one moment, and the next he was in the water. And he was rigid and shaking and gnashing his teeth. Later that night, they had a campfire. They were making s'mores. And it struck again. Rigid, gnashing teeth, foaming. And this time, he landed ever so close to that raging fire. And it just, it just rattled them. It just changed everything. They went to doctors. They went to the pastor, to priests. They, they went everywhere they could for help, but... In the ancient world, there wasn't much you could do. Sometimes, sometimes when he would come back from wherever it was he went, he was terrified. Sometimes he would report seeing things or, or feeling this, this cold, this presence, this, this, this hatred. And he felt like it was directed at him. 
They didn't know what to do with their little guy. Fast forward 10 years. And they've heard about a man named Jesus. And dad and son, they, they pack up and they make their way to Mount Hermon because they've heard that Jesus is now in their region. And they make their way there and, and they're told that Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and they're up on the mountaintop. They've been there a little while. We don't know when they're coming back. And the dad says, well, I've heard stories about his disciples. I heard that you guys were all sent out in groups of two. And I've heard that you went to villages and you proclaimed the kingdom. And not only that, you were given power to drive out demons. And not only that, when you returned to your master, Jesus, you said, even the demons... Leave. Even the demons obey your name. The man's like, please, if you're able to do something, would you? If you're able to do something for my son, would you? There's two kinds of people in the world. There's heroes and there's parents. And this father sought out Christ. And this is where we jump into this text. I wanted you to feel more than you feel, typically, when you read the scriptures. Jesus and the three disciples that he can't leave alone at camp are making their way down the mountain. And we pick up the story there, and it says... When they came to the other disciples, when Jesus and the three came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. There's teachers of the law. These are Hebrew scholars, lawyers, perhaps, and they have come up north uh, to harass Jesus and his followers. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder. And ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. Jesus asked. A man in the crowd answered. Teacher. I brought you my son. Who is possessed by a spirit. That has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him. It throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. We're in Mark chapter 9. I didn't tell you that, did I? I just started reading the Bible. I got caught in my own story. You know, it's an interesting story. It's a fascinating story. I have, I've wrestled with this story, not just this week, but many times. Mark chapter 9. If you keep reading, so they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. 
He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. And after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. And Mark is done with his tale. How do you feel? It's going through your mind. Any confusion? Any points where you're like, uh, I'd like a little more clarification, Jesus. Any doubts? Any of you going, sounds like epilepsy, not a demon. Sounds like you had a medical condition. What's all this ancient first century talk about spirits and weirdness? Do I really have to believe that in order to understand this story? There's a couple things that we need to keep in mind. One, uh, the scriptures, when they report on the spiritual activity of something, we probably need to listen to it. It says the spirit when he saw Jesus. Not when the boy who has epilepsy. (laughs) I mean, Mark is peeling back a curtain for us. Every single time we learn about the spirit, in fact, many times it's a narrative comment. It's from the narrator's perspective. He is telling us something. Jesus, however, confirms all that with his last comment where he says, this kind can only come out. There is a spiritual battle raging in this young man's life. And it has rendered him mute and deaf. And I don't know what you think about demon possession. I don't know what you think about the supernatural world. What I do know is most of us only believe enough about the supernatural world to get saved. We believe in a God. We believe in a virgin birth. We believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit, angels, Satan, demons, perhaps. And we're done. There's far more going on in this passage, though. There's far more going on in this passage. When Jesus first speaks up about the incident, when he first finds out what they're arguing about and his exclamation to them, it's so strange, it's so weird. Would you have said this? When he says, you unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? Is that what's going through your mind with rigid grinding of teeth, gnashing 
foaming at the mouth boy? Is that really what's going on in your heart? Is that really what happened with Jesus? That seems like, that seems so, so judgmental. It seems, it seems even callous. I mean, there's a number of ways you could take this. And scholars, commentaries have wrestled with how to understand this passage of scripture. Mark chapter 9, verse 19. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Now you could read it like he's, you know, a teacher at the end of the day. It's three o'clock. The bell's about to ring. You unbelieving generation. How long shall I stay with you? You could read it as scolding. And is that how you read it? If you read it that way, you might read John 3.16 this way. For God so hated the world that he killed his son. (laughs) Right? I mean, and some of us who have grown up in church world, that's kind of how we see God sometimes. We see him as mean and nasty and wrathful, and he's just waiting for you to step out of line. And maybe, maybe maybe that's how this is supposed to hear. Maybe that's supposed, don't you wish sometimes that there was emojis in the Bible or, or there was some kind of, more than just Jesus replied. Don't you wish there was Jesus shouted, Jesus like scolded, Jesus encouraged? Don't you wish there was some kind of clue as to how to take that passage, those words? I think there is a clue. You see, Jesus is quoting, he's alluding to a part of scripture in Exodus. Exodus chapter 32. In fact, it's very clear in Matthew and Luke that that's what he's doing because they add a word that Mark left out. Mark had a really short scroll. He was running out of space. They include a word perverse. Unbelieving and perverse generation. And whenever you see words like that, uh, you kind of sometimes, at least I do when I read, I'm like, where have I heard this before? I heard this somewhere before. And where, what was going on in that last time I heard this? And if you turn to Exodus chapter 32, you'll see this interesting thing that God did. God commanded Moses to write down a song that God composed. <laughs> you ever think of God as a songwriter? It's not a pop song. It's not very popular. But all the people in Israel were taught to learn this song. In fact, that's what God says. I'm going to have you write down this song, and I want you to teach it to Israel. And then you're going to go up a mountain and die. <laughs> Happy day. Now, Moses writes down this song. And if you look at this song in Exodus chapter 32. Sorry, Deuteronomy 32. You're right. My badness. Thanks, Marnie. It's a good thing I talked to her about my sermon yesterday. Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32. Thanks. Moses writes this song down that God wrote. And this song is a warning. 
It is a warning to Israel. It's also a prophecy to Israel. It's a warning to them. We do this with our kids, don't we? Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above, he is looking down in love. I mean, he is looking down in love, right? But the way the song is supposed to be understood is, God's watching you, kid, right? He is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, which... Oh, be careful, little hands, what you do, right? Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. It's a warning song. It's also a prophecy song because parents were kids once too. And parents go, <laughs> my eyes, my hands, my feet did things they wouldn't, weren't supposed to do. And the father was looking down on me in love too. It's a prophecy song. It's a warning song. Moses isn't quite as catchy. But he writes this warning song. How do I know that? Because God tells us that's what it is. And he recited this word, this song, from beginning to end in the hearing of the whole assembly of Israel. And God has written this song. And the part that Jesus is referring to is Deuteronomy 32, verse 20. This is all over the scholarly literature when you study this passage. But what is really frustrating is that the scholars don't connect the dots very well. So all week long, I have been sitting around going, how does this connect? What's the deal? Here it goes. This is what I think. (laughs) I reserve the right to change my mind. This is a warning. It is a warning to Israel. And one thing that scholars see that's going on with Jesus is that he is mimicking some of the things that Moses did. He's redoing Moses and the Exodus. It's a new Exodus. And what Moses did was he went up on a mountain. Jesus just went up on a mountain. Moses went on a mountain and he received the Ten Commandments and the law. He was there for 40 days. And then he came down the mountain. And if you saw the movie with Charlton Heston, you know that when he got down the mountain, what was going on in the valley below? The people had created a golden idol. And Aaron said, worship these. These are your gods, Israel. And what does Charlton Heston do? By the way, that looks a lot like Charlton Heston. He throws down the tablets and breaks them. And then he has to go back up and get new ones, right? But he's angry. Why? Because the people within 40 days time have already turned their backs on Yahweh. In fact, Deuteronomy 32 talks about that. It says in verse 16, they made him jealous with their foreign gods and angered him with their detestable idols. They sacrificed to, anybody have it in front of them? Demons, which are not God. Gods they had not known. Gods that recently appeared. Gods your ancestors did not fear. Moses comes down the mountain. They're dancing around these idols. And God says, there's a demon. There's demons there. Jesus comes down off the Mount of Transfiguration. And what is he greeted by? Confusion 
and a demon. I, that's just interesting, isn't it? That's just kind of spooky weird, isn't it? And then not only that, Jesus refers back to Exodus 32, 20. If you keep reading, we were in verse 17 and it says the Lord's or excuse me, you deserted the rock who bore you. You forgot the God who gave you birth. The Lord saw this and rejected them because he was angered by his sons and daughters. I will hide my face from them, he said, and see what their end will be, for they are a perverse generation, children who are unfaithful. You see, the word there in Greek that is translated in your Bible for unbelieving is the word pistis, and it means faith or faithfulness or belief or trust or believing. It has this range of meaning. And what is being highlighted is the unfaithfulness of the people, even in Jesus' day. Israel is still unfaithful. Now, I I wrestle with this passage because I think there's some kind of backstory that Jesus is getting at. And because I'm not a first century Jew, since I didn't learn this song as my warning song, I think that there's something that I'm struggling with and Bible scholars who study this passage are struggling with to get their heads around. But one of the things that I do know that this passage isn't teaching is if you have enough faith, you can do stuff. I know that's not being taught by this passage. How do I know that? Because no Sullivan died. How do I know that? Because the Apostle Paul died. How do I know that? Because the Apostle Peter died. How do I know that? I know that because if it's true that if you have enough faith and believe, those dudes would still be alive because who wants to die? Right? And especially the horrible, grisly deaths, they died. Remember Peter? According to church tradition, sacrificed upside down on a cross. Man, if he had enough faith, he would have died in his sleep peacefully. Paul, church tradition, was beheaded by the Romans. If he had enough faith, he would have died in his sleep peacefully. Or perhaps not at all. Is faith really the issue? Is faith how we use it in this way, where it's some type of magic formula to get God to do our bidding? Is that the issue that's upsetting Jesus? In fact, do you remember the story that happened earlier? The the disciples believe they can cast out this demon. Why do they believe that? Because they've done it before. They don't doubt They've done it before. In fact, what is dumbfounding to them is that they can't do it. They're surprised it doesn't leave. They're confused it doesn't leave. It wasn't like they're going, "Uh, I don't know. I don't know if we can do this. I don't know if we can accomplish this. We haven't ever done this before. They have done this before. 
They were sent out by Jesus with authority to drive out demons. They went and did it. Jesus is gone. Hey, just do what we did in the past. Didn't work. That's why when they went inside and they privately spoke to him, right? Oh, Jesus. Little helper. Why couldn't we drive it out? What is Jesus' response? If you had enough faith, you could have. Oh, no, that's not what he says. It's not what he says. These, these things go out by prayer. This kind. You mean there's different kinds? <laughs> there's different kinds of demons? It's weird enough that there's demons, but now you're saying there's different kinds? And this kind can go out with prayer? Okay, Jesus, well then this would be a great time for you to teach us the prayer. I didn't catch that. Could you speak up, please? Huh? Um, okay. They left that place and passed. Where are you going, Jesus? We need to know the prayer. Do you know why? Because we're writing books about this. And people 2,000 years from now are going to want that prayer. Don't you want that prayer? Wouldn't that be handy? Why doesn't Jesus give a formulaic prayer? And thus, Jesus said, the way you pray to drive these kinds out. Why didn't he give us that? What is prayer? What is prayer? Is it is it formulas? Is it saying something to make somebody do something you want them to do? Sometimes Marnie and I tarry too long for one of our children. We talk to people. We're adults. We stand around and chat. And I remember... At that age, that was boring when mom and dad would stand and talk and talk and talk. And sometimes when you're a child, you come up with formulas. You come up with formulas. You come up with, you come up with, with rote phrases. You come up with ways to get your parents' attention. Not only that, to get them to do what you want them to do. Correct? It's a form of prayer. Or it's very similar to some of our prayers. Is that prayer? God... We just, all three of us who are here, agree in the name of Jesus. Because you said that if we do that, then you're on the hook. So since you're on the hook, we're going to make you do this. And none of us are doubting. Nope, nobody's doubting. So we are all in agreement here. I mean, really? Really? 
Hmm. I don't even like to be cajoled or manipulated by people. Okay, all three of us are here to tell you how to preach next Sunday. We're all in agreement on this. None of us are doubting. You took too long, and you need it. In fact, if you don't quit talking too long, we're going to make a trap door underneath you (laughs) with a button, and it's going to send you to the nursery. Because that's what's right below you, pal. And we all are in agreement. We are all believing and trusting that you will hear us and you will do what we say. I don't like to be talked like that. I hate to be talked to like that. Do you know what I think? (laughs) Come next week, I'm going to preach for an hour. (laughs) And I'm not even God. I didn't even make them. I haven't known them since they were in the womb. I haven't known everything they've ever done. I haven't known what's really in their hearts, what's, what they're really concerned about, f- afraid of, scared of, what is driving them crazy, what they really want out of me, what they really... God knows all of that. He knows the heart, and, 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 and he's going to let himself be cajoled? Because you said everything is possible for one who believes. Everything is possible for one who believes. Do you know one of the things that's ruining this great country is we've told our kids they can be anything they want to be. Anybody can grow up and be president. That idea is ruining our country. (laughs) There are some people who shouldn't grow up to be president. Right? There are some people I don't care how much you believe it. You will never be in the NBA, the NFL, the MLB. You will never sing well. Simon Cowell will send you home crying. I don't care how much you believe. Is that what Jesus is teaching here? Another indicator that that's not what he's teaching is how the man addresses Jesus. If you can. If you can. You could take it one way. Well, you didn't say the the magic words right. (laughs) At my house, we had to... Sometimes my dad was ornery. Most of the time, my dad was ornery. And when we wanted something, he would say... You have to say it right. Please, Daddy, Sir, may I please? You know, he had this little please, Daddy, Sir, please thing we had to do. <laughs> please, Daddy, Sir, please. May I use the rest- restroom? I'm dying here, you know. He wasn't that bad. It was close, but it's. <laughs> please, Daddy, Sir, please. And if we didn't say the formula right, we had to stand there and wait. And, oh, I really, gosh, Dad, why are we doing this again? I'm 23 now. This is irritating. <laughs> is that what Jesus is saying? If you can, you said, the, you said it wrong. You said it wrong. You said it wrong. If you can. You should have said, since you're able, or yes, I know you can. Is that what Jesus is correcting? 
if you can. Everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed. (laughs) Why? Because he's desperate. Why? Because this has happened since childhood. Why? Because he is hoping Jesus can fix it. He says, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. We don't know how far they journeyed to see Jesus. Isn't that a demonstration of belief? We don't know what price it came at cost to him to show up in this region to see Jesus. Isn't that belief? We don't know what is going through his mind, but we know that at some level there's a little bit of doubt. Why? Because nothing else has worked. Don't we all have some doubt? When you hear that somebody has cancer, don't you have doubt? Don't you instantly go, oh man, this could kill them. This could be it. When you watch the news and you see bombing in Syria... When you see refugee crises, when you see Haiti just being destroyed, annihilated by a hurricane. Isn't there doubt? Isn't there any doubt? I mean, don't you think, oh, when you interact with someone who's Alzheimer's. When you interact with a child at Children's Hospital in the cancer ward. When a a grandfather dies just a couple months before the baby comes. Isn't there doubt? Don't you wonder? What's the prayer for us? What are we supposed to say? You see, this man, he understands that God is faithful even in my unfaithfulness. That is, I think, the lesson here. That God is faithful despite your unfaithfulness. And he always will be. And I don't know what is good news if that ain't good news. Because I know my heart. (laughs) I know my heart. And I know there's doubt. There's self-doubt. There's doubts as to, is God good? Is he going to do something? Is he going to show up? What's going on? This is horrific. Why did that happen? There aren't easy answers. But there is such a great, honest prayer here. I do believe But help me in my unbelief. Some of you, that needs to become your mantra prayer. That needs to be your lifeline. Because it doesn't say, I believe so much and I just have little bits of doubts. 
It just says, I do believe. I, I walked here. I got here. I showed up at church. I keep trying. I keep hanging on to the threads, to the hopes. I continue to struggle and grasp. Help me in my unbelief. That's a prayer. That is a prayer of a person who understands that God is faithful when they are faithless. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I do ask that you would meet us at our place of greatest doubt. Forgive the church for the many people who have turned their backs on a false teaching because of bad theology. All the people who blame you for things, for the death of mothers and fathers and grandfathers and grandmothers and children who throw you under the bus because the church said, if you believed enough, Something must be wrong with you. Father, thank you that in their bones they know that is bad theology. And I pray that you would help the church be a place where people with doubts are welcomed and their doubts are discussed. They're not belittled. Help us to embrace those who like this father are trying to believe but are finding it hard at times. Thank you that Jesus didn't turn him away. Thank you that Jesus saw that and was moved. Thank you that you are faithful when we are faithless. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May we all know that the Lord is faithful when we are faithless. And may we take great joy and comfort in that. Amen.